The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. On the first week of the job at Coca-Cola in 1996, today's guest was wheeling out Coke products from Pizza Hut after they had moved to Pepsi. Although just a new sales rep, he vowed that one day he'd get Coke back into the big chain and its sister KFC. The years passed, and Craig Cotton moved up the ranks. He went from sales rep to a manager, into sales operations marketing, and all the way to the general manager from his shop floor start. And on his last day with the company, 17 years later, Craig and his team made that deal with restaurant brands, the biggest single deal in Coke New Zealand's history. How's that for a story of growth and dedication? Craig has gone on to be CEO for the Better Drinks Co., the makers of Charlie's, as it went from a small indeed a part of the huge Asahi network, and then on to independent liquor, and now the Innovation Council, where this year's awards are upcoming and the sector is in good health. To talk the career and what could be next for innovation, Craig Cotton joins us now. G'day. Morning. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Ah. And uh, so 20 years in fast-moving consumer goods, what got you into the world of drinks and treats? Um, well, it started just straight after university and the opportunity to, I guess, go and network and, and put myself out there with a number of different companies. And um, Coca-Cola was one that just um, New Zealand, or, or back then um, known as Coca-Cola Amatil, was just really appealing and, um, and sort of started on that journey. And Coke would have been, you know, there are a lot of brands these days, but it would have been the very biggest, the only thing in lots of dairies, yeah? Yeah, it was. You know, it was a, it was a pretty dominant player back then, um, but still, yeah, on a path of actually quite significant growth, which really surprised me um, when I sort of got in and actually started to understand how the dynamics of a large company like that can actually still grow at a, at a significant pace. That's interesting, and that's kind of growing the market, isn't it? Because if you think about the number of fridges with uh, soft drinks in them, they've hugely increased everywhere. Yeah, they have. And, and again, that's just that whole sort of, I guess, game of understanding what your market really is and um, who are those customers that have the potential, you know, to expand that base irrespective of what industry you're really in. What does it take to, you've had a few different roles there uh, across those companies. What does it take to move from sales and starting, you know, right at the coalface uh, and into management yeah. and into new areas in a company like that? Yeah, I guess from a young age, I got some advice from a mentor saying, you know, always just try and put yourself in that person's shoes that's, you know, ahead of you um, and understand what it is that they're really after because ultimately it's all about how do you connect and I guess I've always been very focused on collaboration to help people be successful and that's not just people I work with but obviously my customers and people that I just, you know, generally meet when I was out and about. So that was probably the philosophy I put in place but also to understand quite quickly, you know, what is your brand? Like um, what do you actually stand 
stand for and what provides you that opportunity to, you know, to, to be something that other people go, geez, you know, what's, what's that individual up to and why? And that's probably the key question is understanding, you know, why you do what you do. If you're clear on that, then I think you will uh, typically always be reasonably successful. That's interesting. How did you work that out? Was that, um, you, you know, did you decide, uh, well, first up, what did you decide your brand would be? And then how did you go about making that something that, that worked? Yeah, well, in the early stages, I just really wanted to um, be someone that, that probably challenged some of the opportunities that existed. Um, I took over Wellington City, and, and it was a pretty full-on, intense sort of place. Um, traffic's a bit of a nightmare. Um, and I just decided when I looked at my actual market and my customers understood what it was that they wanted, I thought, I'll start early. So I'd start at 4.30 sort of most mornings because my cafes and a lot of the bakeries and that were actually open at that stage. So I was able to complete most of my, I guess what you call a route quite quickly. And then that enabled me to have the opportunity to really scope out further opportunities and grow that particular market. And when I actually left that route a sort of year and a half later, um, two people went into that in the city within, within Wellington. So it's just understanding, yeah, what it is that you think you can sort of, I guess, cut through and create a bit of a point of difference. And that's like with any, any brand really, um, treat yourself like a brand and, and treat people you know, in terms of understanding what really does make them tick and how you can obviously help them maybe tick a little bit faster. That's, so I, I haven't heard people talk about that in terms of the way that they personally present, uh, but I, I, I work in brand and one of my favourite things is the idea that your brand is what you do. Mm. And so if you want to be interesting, you have to do a whole lot of interesting things. Mm. So, so that's interesting. What were you trying to define your brand as? Was, was it like going further or being most reliable and then so you just go the furthest and be the most reliable. Yeah, like, and it is, to be honest, it's that simple. I, you know, again, a, a teacher at, at Palmerston North Boys High School, um, uh, Mr. Tamatea, you know, he said really early that, you know, your um, attitude, not uh, aptitude, determines your attitude in life. And that really stuck with me. Um, and that sort of, you know, and my, and my grandmother used to always say too, you know, it costs you nothing to say hello to somebody. And she had another way of, of putting it too, which really was, you know, I later sort of, um, grew on that and said again, you know, your attitude is really infectious. So it comes about what do you want people around you to catch? Um, so that, that was something that I, I guess, probably defined me as probably my core brand mm. is that every day, you know, and again, you, people say, you know, you can choose your attitude. It's, it's so true. Um, and if I can help other people have that same philosophy, then I find that everyone always tends to move forward and, and every day, you know, just be that little bit better. People outside of um, marketing and brand, often see a word like brand as being a bit wishy-washy or something or just a lot of talk. But as you're kind of, you know, saying there, it really is uh, about actually delivering and, and coming through on that. Like, what, 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 how do you do that for a team? How do you help people kind of um, get into that space? Well, yeah, to me, everything starts with culture. And again, um, I've been really fortunate to meet some pretty amazing leaders um, the likes of Mike Bennett from Zed, just outstanding. Um, guy called Michael Henderson, who uh, has got a, a company called um, Cultures at Work, and he's a corporate anthropologist. You know, studies cultures, but from a, a, a corporate um, environment. And and again, it, it does start. Honestly, it starts with culture. You know, you've got to understand. You know, what is actually existing in the organisation, or even even you know, from a customer perspective. You know, what's that that culture that's existing within those customers? And so many people try and define that by doing workshops and, you know, um, almost, you know, 
trying to define what they feel the culture is. Yeah. The best way to do it is just observe, you mm. know, don't talk, listen, observe, talk to people, ask lots of why questions and understand because your culture's there, you know, your values are there yeah. and it's just uncovering what they are. And uh, you've got to do that by listening and observing. And that was something else, you know, my, my grandfather sort of said to me at early days, you know, you do have, you know, basically two ears and one mouth for a particular reason. And, um, and again, it's, it is just so true. You've got to listen, you've got to observe. You would have sat in a fair few of those brand workshops where everyone gets their post-its out and decide, you know, what the attributes of the brand. And if you're in New Zealand, every single place you go to are going to say some of the same things. We're easygoing. We've got a sense of humour. We look after our mates. We like jandals. You're like, oh, geez, you know what? <laughs> but what's, what's yeah, you, you've actually got to find out what, what's special to a place. And yeah. Let's have a look at one of the ways that you kind of um, help change a culture. So after... Coca-Cola, mm. uh, you went into um, what had been Charlie's, the, mm. um, the really cool kind of energetic soft drink company, mm. and it was going through a big series of change, wasn't it? Yeah, well, you know, you're, you're taking, you know, Stefan and Mark did a, and Simon did a phenomenal job, and it was great to um, be able to step into Stefan's shoes, but have Stefan still, you know, as part of the team um, from, a, from a directorship point of perspective. And so he, he'd been the founding CEO. Yeah, exactly. founding CEO. So, you know, sort of come in and, and then take over, you know, after sort of um, that period of, you know, roughly sort of 14 years, it was like, it was, everyone was going, well, yeah, why you? You know, what are you going to add? Um, why have you chosen to come from a, a big multinational to, you know, um, our small little business, which is very, very different. And, you know, and, and we're one of those companies that have always competed quite, you know, vigorously against the bigger guys. A, a small little independent that totally. would have been fighting you yes, as, uh, as Coke, as yeah. the big bad guy in well, the, when I, when I the drinks in, cabinet. When yeah. I first started in Wellington, you know, Stefan's orange juice, um, he was like a little mosquito, you know, and he would just be, you know, you think you'd, you'd bat him away and the next thing you turn up in one of your fridges again. And I never thought that I'd actually work, you know, with Stefan, let alone, you know, sort of um, be in a company that was suddenly I was the mosquito. Because of course the... Um, Coca-Cola Kerry orange juice is a huge product. Mm. So Stefan's would have been going directly against you there. And then as they moved into all the other sodas, they would have been. But then they got sold into Asahi, didn't they? So they had to... Yeah, learn. Stefan's went to Frucor and then, yeah, Charlie's got sold onto Asahi. Yeah, to, to learn how to be part of a big operation. Yeah. So how did you take a, a an independent company like that and, and help it grow in that new environment? Yeah, so I was trying to really understand again, you know, what the culture was and more importantly, what, did the culture need to be and one thing I settled on really quickly was this I guess idea of a teenager you know and the fact that you know this team had many of them had grown up with Stefan and grown up with Mark and, and Simon and there was obviously a few people that had come in in the last sort of couple of years as well as they went sort of went through that change and it was just like if you can harness and understand a story and then get people to galvanize around that and the so I did it in two ways one was you know we've got this amazing opportunity to take this young teenager into adulthood um, and you don't get many opportunities to do that so that sort of galvanized that hey yeah maybe we might be something onto something the other thing is, is health and safety I'm very very passionate about health and safety and not that we didn't have a safe environment um, with Charlie's but every company can always be better mm. and when you actually start to talk health and safety and you live it and you breathe it all of a sudden people go wow this person actually genuinely really cares about us mm. which you should so from that perspective it was just about again listening to people it was observing them talking to them understanding the different connections you could start to make how 
do we collaborate better? From that collaboration, you know, how can we take some of the, I guess, ideas that we've got, but turn that into content that not only made sense for us as a team, but really made sense for our customers. So, and that then comes back to what's our capability currently. So what did we need? What do we need to change? What were those other, I guess, dynamic blocks we needed to bring together? And then once you've got that capability sort of right, First and foremost, obviously culture. You know, you've got to have your culture right. There's no point having strategy without having the culture because you'll never actually it'll, it'll be it'll be completely worthless. So from that perspective, then it's just like yeah. Then how do we change that engagement with our customers? And then what are the opportunities again of listening, observing with our customers? So it's the same. It's the same idea from whether you're with your own people or with with your customers or whether you're with people that have got nothing to do with your business. But hey, one day they might. Mm. I guess there would be a lot of risk there though. So if you've been a company that's all about being the independent and has a bit of a kind of larrikin, good-natured larrikin spirit of the founders and then they lose maybe that element of the story and having to find a new story for people to get behind and for people to believe because the fastest thing to get found out in the world is bullshit. Um, What what kind of story did you land on to take that independent spirit um, and then yeah, grow it. Yeah, well, you know, Charlie's had always been a challenger brand and they'd always, you know, they'd established really the, the first sort of premium category within FMCG with, with taking juice to to freshly squeezed. And with that, you know, they'd always been a challenge of it, typically a bit of a challenge of it, maybe in some it's a bit, a bit of a pain in the ass. And so that, that challenger spirit was a foundation. Family was an absolute foundation, which was pretty cool because the great thing about families is you have stories, you know, you, you have sayings, you, you know, you have beliefs and that you can, you know, you can be part of something that, yeah, you will have some challenges, you'll have some knockbacks, but ultimately at the end of the day, you pick each other up and you have to because you're, you're family. So that was a really cool foundation to have to, to build off from what Stefan and Mark and, and Simon had left and then it was like well what is it that we really do need to move forward and and so we did a you know again observing uh, working with a team um, I got you know Michael Henderson involved and really quickly we started to uncover that ultimately that challenger spirit was there it was but it was always that challenge to actually take it to being better um, and we sort of uncovered sort of three core what we termed one of the team actually termed vitamin C's which again had a great connection was around that we were always very um, committed to each other again great family sort of you know underpinning um, we were very creative so from that aspect and again that was sort of the essence of what Charlie's had always been um, but ultimately it was around commercial outcomes um, both for us as a team but also obviously for our, our family our, our parent which was Asahi and one of the adages we came up quite quickly is we didn't want to be one of those teenagers that was always going to our parents for money you know Asahi had already you know spent a lot on actually acquiring them so it was like yeah time now to say how can we actually make our own money and and again take that teenager on that next phase of growth which made sort of made sense. That family analogy that's um, something that's a bit of a topic of conversation at the moment in business with the Netflix approach to culture which is that sports team approach where if you're not performing you're off the field Mm. as opposed to that family approach where even if your cousin's a dick, you can't kick him out of the family. <laughs> and that's become more popular these days, yeah. the kind of sports analogy versus the family one. And what, what do you make of that? I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a real, it is, it is a balance. You know, at the end of the, you know, commercial outcomes are critical, right? Because if you don't have commercial outcomes, you can't have a strong foundation. And then, you know, the, the actual culture will start to, you know, be under a bit more, more pressure. So f- for me, it's, family is important from the fact that, you know, 
um, to me, it's never been about a work-life balance. You know, it's life. So you've got to, everything you do has got to build a foundation to enable you and your family and, and ultimately the people that you work with to have a better life, really. Um, and that adage came true, you know, recently I've been on a journey sort of last sort of 14, 16 months where, um, you know, my, my family, um, I get to see them every couple of weekends. Uh, my children, I've got a, an amazing uh, 12-year-old and 9-year-old boy. Um, and Brian said to me, Dad, you know, and, and it, was a, it was a pretty emotional conversation, to be honest, because I've been out of Auckland, I've been traveling lots, I've been working and living where I've been working. And she just said to me, Dad, you know, unfortunately, Dad, um, I want something to, you know, I've got to talk to you about this lifestyle that you're currently living is just is just not good. You know, we want to see, you know, you more. We don't want to just catch up every other weekend when when it's our official time to see you. We want to come and stay with you more often. Um, and I said, well, you know, what's changed? And she said, well, in, in previous sort of, I guess, again, she used the word life, is that we felt really part of it. You know, we knew your team. We knew your brands. We'd come to work. We we understood, you know, what you actually did. We even got to meet, you know, your customers, et cetera. And so what she was explaining to me is that it was just, what we did was just part of our life, right? and she felt engaged and, and part of it. Obviously, I've been out of Auckland, so it was a bit of a, yeah, a bit of emotional moment, to be honest. And when I asked her, you know, why haven't you spoken about this before? Um, she said, well, Dad, you're so passionate about what you do, I honestly didn't think you'd listen. Um, so that's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it was a tough pill to take, but it was great that she had that confidence to have that conversation with me. And that's part of, I think, putting yourself out there that enables people to have those conversations with you, to talk about where things are at. And to me, you know, it is about treating people just being, being real and being, being authentic. And, but there are times when people get to the stage where it no longer makes sense to, to be part of the culture you've actually got because, they want to go on and maybe do something different or they've had a life change or a, a, I guess a, a new new focus for them in terms of what it is that they want to um, that breed success or what they determine success. That idea of uh, a family gets on really well kind of goes to the commercial point where you think families generally have a better time if they're not, say, fighting about money. So if you've got the <laughs> commercials working, things are good. Um, let's look at the growth that you actually uh, achieved by being part of Asahi with the Better Drinks Co., which is what Charlie became. The product launches, there was a product launch that you guys did that I saw that sold 100,000 units on its first day. I mean, that's an enormous scale. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that was our entry into the actual Japanese market. And that was the first time in Asahi's history they'd ever taken, because they obviously own a lot of companies around the world, actually taken a brand that they owned and brought it into the Japanese market. Um, and really, the team did a phenomenal job with that. And, and sort of the New Zealand story um, was just starting out. And, and Rebecca you know, came to us and talked about what the New Zealand story, which is all about, you know, open, open minds, open hearts, open spaces. And it actually was... And it was just a coincidence, but we we're almost on that same journey in terms of it was about how do we win the minds and the hearts of the, the Japanese team um, in Tokyo um, because they certainly had those connections. So it was about how do we understand that we get their mindset to say, hey, let's take a punt on bringing this brand from New Zealand called Charlie's and bringing it into the into the market in Tokyo um, and with one of the biggest customers, which was 7-Eleven. So it was, it was a great journey in terms of the guys did a great job of winning those hearts and minds really really telling our story really, really well that actually sort of added that opportunity to say, and again, it was the first time they'd launched a premium juice brand in Japan as well under the Asahi sort of family. So um, it, was, it was a great journey. The team did a phenomenal job. Um, but again, it came back to understanding what was the opportunity, how do you connect with that, understanding their local capability, how can we utilise our brand to improve their position with their customers and obviously drive a, a good commercial outcome. What does it take to work with a 
big Japanese company. Is that different than working with, you know, a huge networked Coca-Cola kind of company? Yeah, in some ways very different. They, they take a different view of time. Um, it's not that quarter to quarter to quarter sort of results. Um, they results are still extremely important, especially when they pay the money they've paid for you. But again, if you can get them to buy into your story, and actually the Japanese, um, very similar to our Maori culture in terms of storytelling, um, is is the way that they've actually passed on, you know, intergenerational, um, you know. Um, beliefs and, and culture so they they really brought into our story they really brought into this fact of you know taking this young teenager on a journey into adulthood and that enabled us to really get I guess again get that emotional connection with them um, which enabled them to really support us and again you know like take us into that uh, into that massive market which was um, was Tokyo. And did it take longer was it harder I ask as someone who's taken a couple of trips to Japan to try and get things kicking off and not really any wiser than I was before both of them yeah, yeah it does because again you know it's, it's, it's just part of that culture you know it's about building those relationships building that trust building the understanding and again authenticity being really really clear that hey this person means the right thing by you know by us as a as a as a I guess a father figure relationship, but also in terms of what we're trying to do with their brands, but also what we're going to try and do by taking our brand and putting it into their their business in in, uh, in Japan. And what led you to innovation? So you're now that looking after um, the innovation council for for a stint. What what's happening there? Yeah, well, that's again just part of this journey I'm at the moment. Is I've always been focused on how do you help people, you know, connect, um, collaborate, and, and create new. And the opportunity um, came up through KPMG, and they um, again sort of on this journey at the moment. And they said, "Would you be interested to come and do some work for us?" Um, and that's what I'm doing. I'm just having a, it's it's a pretty amazing um, story. Um, Andy um, and Louise, you know, built this business from absolutely nothing into New Zealand's largest awards business, um, focusing on innovation. And like with all businesses, it's that opportunity now to go well how can we take it from where it is now and mean more potentially to this ecosystem and it's a big ecosystem you know the whole everything from you know startups to you know SMEs and medium large a lot of consultants out there a lot of government departments all playing in the space incubators um, you know local economic development boards etc there's a lot happening so it's almost like to me I'm looking at going well the awards do deliver some incredible content. Uh, can we do a better job in actually telling and capturing the why in the house so we can share those stories? Absolutely. And then how do you share that content to actually help people connect to greater capability, which will enable them, again, to hopefully collaborate better and really collaborate, you know, these are my marbles, I'm happy to share them because we are too small not to, you know. Auckland population is the size of a large multinational organisation globally, so we should be focused on how we actually collaborate better together. And now that collaboration, you're going to create the opportunity to ultimately deliver on more customers through better capability which delivers commercial outcomes which again we can then feed in and create and celebrate the successes but also the failures as well at the awards so that's sort of the I guess the journey I'm on at the moment to understand is how can we really bring that to life with the ecosystem that's out there and just try and help connect some of those dots. So what does that mean in practice kind of telling more of those stories about what innovation means and what its success uh, successes are and and getting those people working together. Absolutely, and, and identifying what capability they need so that you can connect. And we have some amazing partners um, you know, around the Innovation Council and, and some partners have been around with us, well, been with us for a long time, like Bayer, et cetera, and 3M. And, and those companies, you know, they've invested long-term with us. Um, they're on a journey and um, it's like, well, how do we start to give back and enable them to actually help some of these companies that 
certainly require capability, whether it's people, you know, whether it's, it's connections to more customers, um, whether it's capital, um, how do we help, you know, I guess, facilitate that and just connect people so that they can collaborate. Because I suppose people only see the awards gala and, you know, they see Teradar up at the, <laughs> at the top doing a speech and you see the same people in the same companies and the finalists and winning things and people wear the same suits to all the ones. But th- there's a few of the different award ceremonies, but they, they have different, um, I, I suppose, uh, parts underneath them that, that you can build. part of the culture. Build. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and that's, a, the, you know, I think the unique thing about the awards and, um, you know, the team have done a, a great job. Jane, um, who looks after uh, our marketing side of the, the business and, and the event itself, has really stepped it up again this year. Um, Fiona, in terms of how she's, you know, taking the content, communicating that and, and, and building again around the People's Choice Awards, et cetera, is, again, just every year they seem to do things slightly better, which is, which is fantastic. And this year, the awards, you know, it's going to be an amazing event, over 700 people coming along, um, you know, 22 different categories, plus the People's Choice Award. It's, it's going to be a great evening on the 19th of October. And the People's Choice Award is on at the moment, isn't it? And that's something yeah, you can just rock on up to the website and have a look through some of the, the uh, finalists. Absolutely. So, you know, you can go to um, you know, NZ uh, Innovation Council, uh, go to our website, People's Choice, and, um, you know, on there you can just see some of the amazing companies. Um, and, you know, this year we had just over 300 unique companies enter that hadn't entered before. And um, I was lucky enough to uh, start just before the evaluation sort of sort of wrap up. And it was amazing being in a room with the evaluators who came from incredible backgrounds, incredible people, incredible companies, evaluating these amazing New Zealand businesses um, that are absolutely doing some incredible things. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Craig Cotton, for coming and chatting to us about the Innovation Awards uh, and your career. Uh, Thank you very much to Jose Barbosa for producing. Thanks to Callahan Innovation for sponsoring this podcast about new perspectives on business. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spinoff and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.